Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. read for you an ancient prophetic text that many of you might be familiar with. And in this text, the prophet Isaiah is conveying the feeling that people experience when they recognize that their sin has become a barrier. And the text is rich with descriptive language. You can almost paint a picture in your mind of what the prophet is asking you to see Descriptions about leaves blowing in the wind, the mountains quaking. It paints a rich picture that includes sight and sound. And yet the text says, no ear has perceived, no ear has heard, no eye has seen. And so we come to the quintessential problem of worshiping a God with whom we cannot see. Right? How do we convey that, not just to ourselves as individual disciples, but how do we convey that to a world that needs to know that God is absolutely real? and hence the gift of artistic expression. Those of you who are gathered here in our sanctuary can clearly see one piece of artistic expression, and that is the light pouring in through our stained glass windows, which are, in and of themselves, an artistic depiction of various scenes in the midst of Jesus' life and resurrection, as well as the sacraments here in the chancel. This is one way in which a human being, just like you and me, has envisioned these moments that are described in Scripture and that are so poignant in our faith life. And that is one of the ways in which God's gift of creativity is expressed. You heard another in not only the hymn that we sang this morning, but in the musical offering of our chancel choir, that music also expresses things that sometimes spoken word fails to properly convey. And if you have ever been one of those people that find yourself quoting not just the scriptures or the hymns, but movies and songs and literature, then you know that sometimes the creativity of others gives you the words or the ability to convey what you want to say. And so creativity is something that God gives to humankind and allows humankind to use for the benefit of each other. Now, there is something very therapeutic about doing art. That's why there are so many programs that are designed around not only children, but adults helping us to express ourselves through drawing or painting or other forms of artistic expression. But it has always been part of religion. It has always been part of the fabric of faith of those people who are described and inscribed in the scriptures that they were using their hands in order to create things that represented their experience with God and their encounters with the divine. Sometimes it was simple things like building what we call an Ebenezer, a tower of rocks that were a located place where someone had an experience with God. Sometimes it was creating images, which you have to be careful of because sometimes people mistake an image for The divine itself, Uh, there are other religions that have that as part of a practice, but that is not who we are as Christians. We don't worship images. They simply remind us or give us a place to focus and meditate upon. But it is a struggle for us to try to envision something that we have not seen with our eyes. That's why there are so many people who put incredible effort into trying to portray Jesus. 
We have not seen Jesus in an earthly form as he was when he walked the earth, but we have descriptions of it. We have testimonies. But isn't it wonderful to have a depiction? That's why quite a few years ago now when The Passion of the Christ came out in movie theaters, people went to it in droves to see what those final days might have been like because that visceral encounter is important to human beings. And that's why we take pictures, that's why we film videos of our loved ones, so that we have those things to relive and help us to remember with joy. But in the times past, before the invention of that incredible technology, Christians struggled to find ways to share the knowledge that they had. Hence our saint today, Catherine of Bologna. Now, she is an incredible story, and oftentimes she's worshipped, not worshipped, but venerated by a certain group of people who are part of the larger family of faith, but also sometimes not the focus of the family of faith. And that are, those are people who do art. And for those of us who enjoy traditional worship, artistic expression is a huge part of our worship. We place a high value on excellence in music. We place a high value on certain instrumentation. We have a high value on traditional architectural elements like stained glass windows. We even encourage artistic expression in the pyramids that you'll see hanging behind me. Now, pyramids can be rather simple or they can be much more complex. But they are expressing symbolism. They are expressing time in the liturgical calendar. And for those of us who are traditionalists, this is part of how we take in and enjoy our worship experience. Even the way that we dress will express that. And someone had to design and create these robes and the pyramids that we have. So all of those reflect the same heart and creative passion of Catherine. Now, Catherine was born in 1413. And she died in 1463. She was actually one of the older saints that we have talked about in this series. And as I said, she is the patron saint of artists. She was known as a poor Claire nun. So poor Claire nuns are the female counterparts to Franciscans. And if you are not Catholic or haven't grown up in Catholic, I am speaking a foreign language to you. So let me explain a little bit about the religious orders. You've probably heard of some of the religious orders that exist not only in the Catholic Church, but are carried out in the Anglican tradition. And there are other Protestant organizations that carry out some of these monastic orders. You may have heard of Jesuits. Perhaps you've heard of Augustinians or Benedictines. These are all people who are following an inspired way of living, a monastic tradition that goes back to their namesake. Franciscans, St. Francis. Benedictines, Pope Benedict. Not the, Kurt, the one that we just had, but the original one. <laughs> you go back and you can find a lot of those tied to them. So what happened was some of those were specifically for men, but there were plenty of women who were inspired by that monastic lifestyle. Claire was a contemporary with St. Francis. They were both from Assisi in Italy. And Claire noticed that there was something really powerful that spoke to her about the different way that Francis was living in the world. This life of poverty, but to be with the poor. That moved her very deeply, and she especially appreciated his love of creation and animals. Many of us, that resonates with us as well. And so Claire decided that she would found the female counterpart to what Francis had founded in the Franciscan order. And so Francis helped her to do that, guided her, mentored her in that. 
And so for those women who were very compelled by the lifestyle of Franciscan monks, they were able to have a place where they too could live a life of community, focused on a very ordered way of living their lives, but doing so all for the benefit and the service of the poor. Now, there are other orders that you may hear about, and that's what happened to Catherine. She grew up in an aristocracy. Her family was very rich. Her father was an aristocrat, and so she knew a higher socioeconomic status, so much so that she was able to serve as a lady-in-waiting to another rich woman, and it was there in that service that she was trained to read and write. She was trained to paint and write poetry. She was even trained to read Latin, speak Latin, and play the viola, which some of you are well aware of is a larger version of a violin, has a little bit of a deeper octave to it. A beautiful stringed instrument that was considered something of high artistic style. And so she was trained in all of these things. But eventually that situation did not go so well and she returned to her father's household at the age of 13. And she determined that she was going to put her life into service now as a lady in waiting for Christ. And so she sought to join a monastic order. At the time, the order that she joined was in the process of discerning what they were going to be. They had been Augustinian. Now, this is named after St. Augustus, who had a very ordered way of looking at the world, like Benedict did. But Augustinians are known for their emphasis on higher learning, education, and divine wisdom. For instance, if you would like to encounter some Augustinians, you can do that by traveling to Villanova University right outside of Philadelphia on the East Coast. And you won't just find them there in a monastic order living in their own buildings, but you will find that they are the ones that are operating worship in this beautiful chapel at Villanova, and they are teaching classes there alongside people who hold PhDs and terminal degrees in their fields at that school. They believe that one of the greatest ways to serve humankind is to continue to give them knowledge and education on theology and doctrine and scripture and how to apply that in their lives. So by nature and by their call, Augustinians tend to be in a place of higher socioeconomic status. Institutions of higher education tend to draw those kinds of people around them. And so they are located in a very specific form of community versus the Franciscans whose entire existence is dedicated to the service of the poor. So instead of having to spend a lot of money on transportation, they tend to situate their holy communities in the midst of the impoverished. And so you will find Franciscan convents and monasteries right nestled in some of the poorest neighborhoods in the poorest countries in the world. They are right there in the midst because they are serving those people, they are a resource for them, and they want to be with the people that they are serving. They are both a beautiful expression of their faith, but they are serving different communities. And as Catherine was joining her convent, what was happening was they were trying to figure out, are we gonna be Augustinian? or are we gonna be Franciscan? Ultimately, they decided to be Franciscan. That, that just resonated with those women. And so they became poor Claire nuns. Why it's poor Claire, you can see the tie to poverty. Um, I think we probably could have come up with a better moniker looking back, but hindsight's always 2020. And so she was a poor Claire nun, which meant she would have worn a very plain habit. It meant that as she was expressing herself in the world, you would have seen her um, uh, requesting alms for the poor. You would have seen her feeding the poor, providing them with any kind of material good that they needed in order to survive. That was her role in the community. But she had some gifts and some creativity. She had already been trained in artistic expression and she was clearly very talented. 
we have her prayer book. It's called a Braviary. And in the prayer book, you can find incredible amounts of artwork and calligraphy that Catherine had been doing since the age of 13 in her prayer book. One of the things that happens when you enter into a monastic community is that you get a prayer book. Some of you may have hymnals or hymn books, song books, that have come down through the ages from your families because you also used to get that in the Protestant tradition. Not so much a prayer book, but a hymn book. However, if you go through our hymnal, you'll find that there are plenty of prayers in there as well. And what Catherine did was, as she was praying or spending time in meditation, she would get images. And so she would draw them. If you were one of those people in school that doodled on your paper, you and Catherine have a similar spirit. That is what she did. Now, my doodling on a page does not look anything like the, the incredible works that Catherine was able to produce. But they were so beautiful and so ornate that they were preserved even after she died and, and used actually to flood the world with all kinds of different artistic interpretations of prayers and saints and scripture. And she was able to do that. So not only did she have that kind of artistic gift, the visual arts, but she had the auditory arts. She was able to play music. And Catherine knew, and you can find this in her writing, that music can change the way people feel. You've heard of music therapy. You know that listening to happy music has the ability to kind of raise your spirits. Listening to angry music can be cathartic or detrimental, depending on what you're trying to do. Listening to peaceful music can calm the spirit. There are all kinds of ways to do that, and Catherine figured that out too, that when they were leading worship, especially for the impoverished people who were their neighbors, that Catherine could use music to raise their spirits and help them feel that it was appropriate to praise God, but she also knew that she could play that viola and calm a room of angry people. And so she used that gift in order to bless others. But Lest we think that she wasn't also very intellectual, she actually wrote a book called The Seven Spiritual Weapons. And she was able to find them throughout the scripture. And she named these, the seven spiritual weapons that God gives each believer to help combat sinfulness are truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. And so by accessing these things that were in scripture, but being able to pull them apart and write it in a way that was clear and concise, Catherine was able to give people an approachable way to using what they had. You'll notice that none of those involve a large bank account. You'll know that, notice that none of those require you to be a landholder. That all of those are things that God gives to every person regardless of your socioeconomic status in this world. And so that was a great equalizer that she provided for her people. So that the poor that she served wouldn't feel poor in spirit anymore. She ended up being canonized about 300 years after her death. She was canonized by Pope Clement XI who had actually been reading over and over again Catherine's words. But Catherine also found that she had been given some gifts. Catherine was an incredible person. Not only was she a nun in the Poor Claire order, but she was a writer, a teacher, a mystic, an artist, a musician. And she would eventually become a leader in her convent serving as an abbess. So she was in charge of the other nuns where she was. Her mystical side revealed itself when she would sometimes have what they called prophetic visions. 
She prophesied the fall of Constantinople in 1453, several years before it happened. And for those of you that did a lot of study of Western civilization, you know that the fall of Constantinople was a major change in the trajectory of Christianity. That was the fall of the remaining Byzantine Empire. And at this point in Christianity, you had two major forms of Christianity being expressed, Roman Catholicism that sat in Rome, and then Orthodox Christianity, which you've seen uh, continued through Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox, those Orthodox traditions. But the, head, the center of Orthodoxy had been Constantinople. And when the Ottomans came and overthrew it, what ended up happening was transitioning so that the only major thriving epicenter of Christianity was Roman Catholic, changed the entire trajectory of Christianity. And she was able to see that coming and write it down and talk about it. How she would have had knowledge of that, where she was in, in Italy, I have no idea. <laughs> but she did. She seemed to be able to have that. So her place as a mystic was cemented in history at that point. But she was also able to realize that you have to empower creativity. Creativity is something that is not only... Uh, drawn from the well within the individual, but it is something that is encouraged in community. And she found a place that encouraged her to be creative. Now granted, she was creating things that edified and encouraged the faithful. She wasn't drawing comic strips, uh, but she was drawing things that seemed to undergird faith. Now there's nothing wrong with art that isn't specifically religious, nothing wrong with that at all. And there have been a number of Christians that have found art that didn't seem to be very Christian as a way, as a conduit of expressing Christian virtues and ideals. C.S. Lewis perfected this. And so what we end up finding is that your ability to be creative is not just limited to the classical arts, and it is not just something that we do for the enjoyment of people, but sometimes this is actually how we live out our faith. We express ourselves in this way. Now, and if you're not somebody who considers themselves classically artistic, then you probably have experienced what I have, which is that yearning when you see somebody who is. I am passably artistic. I'm actually a poser. I'm a deep fraud. I am not really artistic. Compared to many people, sometimes they'll say, oh, well, you're artistic. I am not. I would introduce you to my cousin Jennifer, who is actually a professional artist. She's a ceramics artist, and she has a master's degree in this, and she is incredible about it. And me, I kind of have to be inspired by something I've seen in order to kind of recreate it or tweak it for myself. She creates out of nothing. It's amazing. And not only does she create gorgeous things, uh, she can paint, she can do uh, ceramics, both the creation of the ceramics, the glazing, the firing, and the decoration of the ceramics, but she is able to do all of this from seeming nothingness. You ask, where did you get that idea? I don't know, I just had it. It's amazing to me that she is able to do that. And she is able to do this in order to bless people. Now, she isn't clergy, she isn't doing this constantly firing you know, chalices for communion. That's not what she's doing. But she has found a place where she can not only fuel her lifestyle by being able to make art and sell it to people, you know, the people that want the vase on the stand, she can do that for you. But she's also found a way to make things that are practical. So if perhaps if you said, I have a friend who is actively dying and I want to do something for this friend, I want to give them a tangible reminder of their importance in my life, something that they might use every day, she can make for you a mug. And in that mug, you can place tea that will soothe their body, that will warm them up from the inside. Those are the kinds of gifts that she has as well. And there is something deeply Christian about that kind of gift. 
whether it is overt or not, it is there. And Catherine's inspiration and challenge to us is to be creative. Now that doesn't mean that all of you need to go out and figure out how to make stained glass windows or everybody here I expect to take up knitting and make prayer shops. But it does mean that we have to figure out how to be creative. And in the church, creativity can take on a myriad of possibilities. We have seen creativity in the church before. I will never forget the woman from my last church who said, you know, I don't do a lot, but I can cook. And I want to start a ministry where I cook an extra meal every week and I take it to somebody who needs it. Sounds like a wonderful ministry. She goes, is this a legitimate ministry? Absolutely it is. I believe somebody very important said, feed my lambs. So yes, it is. It didn't feel as glamorous as ordained clergy dim to her. It didn't feel as essential as building schools in impoverished neighborhoods. But if you were a person who found out some terrible news and miraculously a woman showed up with some incredibly good food that you didn't have to cook or even reheat, that was a gift from God. And she ended up doing it one time for a neighbor. This family had just moved in. They had three boys from middle school all the way down into elementary school. And they had not ever come to the church yet, but they had just moved in. And the day that she showed up to give them the meal, the wife said, why are you here? And she said, well, because I made you food. She goes, no, how did you know? Well, she didn't know, but God did. That family had just found out that the father and the husband was diagnosed with cancer. And that night, when everything seemed to be falling apart, they gathered around a table to eat a warm, delicious meal that a Christian had made for them without any expectation. That family later started attending the church and joined the church. Her food became evangelism. That's a pretty creative way of being evangelistic. Certainly beats knocking on a door and handing out pamphlets, doesn't it? That's how she made her ministry viable. She figured out what she could do, and then she figured out how to do it. But every step along the way, she was asking God, tell me who I should give this to. Where should I go? And it takes a little bit of guts to step out of your comfort zone and take a meal to people that you don't know and offer them that meal. And she did. And it was to the benefit not only of the people that she served, it was a benefit to the church of where she was a member. It's incredible just how that thing can multiply. This morning, we had a member of our family faith show up here at the church right after 8 o'clock because two people in that family desperately need prayer shawls. And because of the creativity and the dedication of our congregation, especially our prayer shawl ministry, I had two very different prayer shawls, one for adult and one for a newborn. And I didn't have to look for that. In fact, all I had to do was figure out which one's best for a newborn boy and which one is best for a mom. That's all I had to do because members of our church had already made them and we had already consecrated and blessed them in a worship service. That kind of responsive ministry is what's important in a church when people know that they can turn to a congregation and that congregation will provide. We constantly do that here at the church. We have done that before the pandemic. We have been doing that within the pandemic. But now we have to figure out how to do that in a world that will never exactly be the same as it was before the pandemic and that we hope won't be the same as in the pandemic forever. But we don't yet know what the world will be, which means we have to get creative. 
And so every single one of us ought to be channeling our inner St. Catherine. How do we get creative? You've seen this at work in our church. We have shown you videos of our youth ministry, very creative. If you had told me while I was in seminary that one day live action Mario Kart was going to create a Christian community, I would have told you you're crazy. But it did, and it does. And there, youth are able to bond. They are able to make relationships. They are able to pray together and explore some of these virtues and concepts of Christianity. And it's not overwhelming or intimidating. What a powerful gift that is. And I didn't do it. I didn't do it at all. There's nothing better than showing up at a youth group meeting and knowing that all of that hard work is done and I just have to be the safe sanctuary adult in the room. What a beautiful thing. And then that inspired the youth, the, the, the children's fellowship, where the children now have their place to bond and grow. And now that group is designing the future where each of the children that are coming to the children's fellowship are going to be tied to one of our group, a member or a, actually a resident over at the trail, the lodge at Old Trail. Cross-generational connection. I didn't think of that. But creativity and the responsiveness to the movement of the spirit is what allows that to happen. Because somebody might go, that's crazy. You want to pair like a sixth grade girl with an adult that they don't know over at the lodge? Yes. I also want to pair a six-year-old girl and a 66-year-old man with a God that's been around forever. And if pairing those two together will make God more tangible and more expressive in their lives, why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we? And for some of us, there is that fear that rises. You're like, I don't know how this will turn out. I don't know if this will be good. And, or some of us have that, I can picture it, but I don't know how to make reality look like the vision. And you feel like you're a failure if you can't do that. You can see what it should be. You can see the possibilities. But how do you make that happen? And here's the truth. No matter what you envision in your mind, it may not work that way out on the ground. That's okay. You still shoot for that. But then you have to work through your own issues about perfectionism. God would rather you have an attempt to make a, a ministerial offering than do nothing because you are afraid that you will not make perfection. Try. And this is a congregation where you can try. You can come to me and say my favorite words. I have a crazy idea. That gets me excited. Absolutely. I have my own crazy ideas. They make other people nervous. But your crazy ideas are exciting because then I go, I heard a great idea. I heard a great idea. Mine are crazy. Yours are great. And let's do that. Let's try. Because God tells us, you do not have to be afraid that you can ever be forgiven. You do not have to be afraid of eternal death. You do not have to be afraid that you are the mistakes of your past. You don't have to be afraid of my grace is enough for you. You don't have to fear those things. You don't even have to fear tomorrow, says God. I am with you and for you until the end of days. So why are we afraid to be creative, to try something new? You know what happened when one of the apostles tried something new? Peter looked out and saw what God was doing in Jesus walking on the water. 
And Peter said, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to go and I'm going to walk on that water with him. And he did. He did. He walked on the water. But what happened was he let fear get a hold of him. Just when he was almost there to Jesus, he got afraid. What if I can't do this? And immediately when he started to doubt, he started to sink. But the most important part of that story was that just as he started to slip under the water, Jesus grabbed him. We are going to try things as individual disciples. We are going to try things as the body of Christ. We are going to try things as a global denomination church, and not all of them are going to work. Some of them are going to work in part, but not in whole. Some of them are going to be massive failures. But guess what? At least we tried. And if you learn, then is it really a failure? If you learn and you adapt and you try again, right? Isn't that what Jesus says? Your sins are forgiven. Go forth. Try again. Try once more. So creativity becomes the way in which we do that. And creativity will have a myriad of ways. Somebody got creative when they figured out how to cut an end off a pew so that we could have a place for people that can't sit in a pew to sit. Somebody got really creative when they figured out that you could take a TV that most people thought was an entertainment device and use it in the midst of worship. Not once, but twice. Somebody got creative. People have the ability to be creative. You have the ability to be creative. And some of you will get creative by figuring out how to create new things. Our pulpit and our altar were made by a church member. Some of you will have that kind of creativity. Others of you will have the kind of creativity that you will problem solve. Or you will figure out a solution to a problem you didn't know we had. The more that we start to do things for the community, the more we start to do things selflessly for others, the more people start to turn to us in their time of need. We saw this recently because we have had a long-standing food mission project here at this church. You may know it as Grace Grocery. And Grace Grocery, before the pandemic, was, was so dynamic for several reasons. The first is that on Monday afternoons, they figured out a distribution style that preserved dignity. And if you've ever been stripped of your dignity, then you realize what a gift it is for somebody to preserve your dignity. And so for people who were struggling to feed themselves and their families, they could come to Grace Grocery, and whether they were documented or not, they were able to have food, and they were able to do this kind of shopping thing, more like a grocery store, so that they could get things that they needed. They could make uh, tweaks based upon dietary restriction, if they were diabetic, that sort of thing. They were able to come and have a very responsive way of getting what they needed. And I love the fact that those who volunteer at Grace Grocery Call them clients. Call those people that come here clients. We are serving you, is the way, the ethos that they operate. And so they also had a third, Sunday, a third Saturday distribution that they used to do, which was USDA. And so if you do something with the government, they have a different requirement for you. And so that required you to be documented and have a state or federal issued photo ID. So that would service some people, but not everybody. So Grace Grocery figured out how to provide for anybody. And that was what they provided. And they figured out ways to get responsive and creative in the middle of the pandemic. And now they're trying to return to their normal. But what has happened is one of our staff members has a connection to a lot of the schools here in Crozet. And so one of the counselors was talking to the staff person and said, don't you guys have a food pantry? And the staff person said, yes, yes, we do. And they said, well, sometimes when parents come to pick up their kids at the end of the day, they tell us that they don't have any food in the house. 
They have no way to feed them. And we've tried to go down to the cafeteria and scrounge some food up, but really that's not a great solution because the cafeteria has been closed for several hours and you know, we, need, we needed a better solution. And so they said, maybe we could get some of those groceries that you have and keep them here. And then the staff person started to think, yes, let me talk to our coordinators at Grace Grocery. And so Grace Grocery figured out absolutely that they could create nine different bags, mirroring what the contents are and making sure the contents are favored by that demographic, right, children and youth, things that they will eat, things that you can cook for them. And so they made those, and the idea is that there were nine counselors here at the schools in Crozet. And every counselor is going to get one of these bags. And in the bag is a small piece of paper. On the front is English, and on the back it's translated into Spanish. And it says, this is for you. No expectations. But if you need more, here's how to contact us at Grace Grocery. And without any question, we will give you more food. So that connection happened because someone outside the church was aware of what we have in the church and then decided to see if we could take that and meet the needs that they were experiencing. That is the essence of the gospel. The gospel is responsive. You'll notice that when God gave God's people stone tablets, they were too rigid and inflexible, and they didn't meet the needs of a people that were constantly walking around. I had the opportunity one time to work for a lieutenant colonel in the army, and he was a ranger. And so he had this responsibility. There's this thing within rangers where wherever you see a group of rangers traveling, the highest ranking ranger kind of goes and gives a pep talk to the other rangers. I think this is kind of what clergy do, but it's mostly an opportunity for us to you know, wear sackcloth and ashes and mourn and grind teeth. But this was more redemptive for the rangers. And so he was in the airport one time, and he saw this group of rangers that were coming back from a training exercise, and they were all there. And he's like, well, I'm clearly the highest ranking one here. I need to go over and say some words. And what he found was that they were exhausted. They had been doing a training mission and they had, they had their full pack out. These 50 pound plates in the front and in the back. They had all of this. And they said, this one guy over here is really hurting. He's aching. And Lieutenant Tarza said, why? Colonel Tarza wanted to know why that was. And they said, well, because he carried the other guy's plates. The other guy had twisted his ankle. And so somebody was carrying that guy, letting him lean on them, and this guy over here took his plates and put them in his pack. That is Christianity. We figure out what you need, and we do it now. It is not easy to carry around 50 pounds worth of plates, but a gospel about grace and love, that you can carry. You can carry that no matter your age or your physical circumstances. You can carry the gospel. And you can give it. And the gospel wants to know how it can serve. And if you carry the gospel, then what happens is you try to figure out how you can serve. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to have a crazy idea. You want to hear a crazy idea? I'll give you one. The God who created everything, all of the heavens and all of the earth, every single animal, insect, person on this earth decided to come and visit us in a human vessel and not only decided to visit us but then decided that that same God in human form would offer God's self on the Roman equivalent of an electric chair. 
so that every person who had ever lived, who was dying right then and who would ever be born would have the opportunity to be with that same God forever in the kingdom to come. That's a crazy idea. Crazy idea that you can be forgiven for everything you have ever done. A crazy idea that you can be forgiven for what you're contemplating doing right now. Yes, you can. The gospel of Jesus Christ declares it. And if we are going to really be the body of Christ here in Crozet and beyond, if we are really going to be that which we are called, then we have to figure out in creative ways how to meet the needs. And some of you will figure out how to take those 50-pound plates and distribute the weight among the rest of us. Some of you will figure out a more creative way to carry around protection for 50-pound plates. Some of you will figure out maybe we don't even need the plates. Maybe we can find a better way to take care of ourselves. And some of you will figure out a way to edify and encourage and cheerlead the people that still in these circumstances have to carry around 50-pound plates. All of that is the kingdom of God. Every effort. So get creative. Get crazy. Because the only bad idea is the one that you don't share. The only bad question is the one you don't ask. We are a place that is built upon reflection and introspection, but we are also a place that is built on learning and growing. Channel your inner Augustinian and think about what you can do and then channel your inner Franciscan and figure out how to do it for the people that need it. And then people will go, you know what? I don't know what the answer is, but I know a place where somebody will help us figure it out. Let's call that Methodist Church. And that day, they will find Jesus because of you. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.